right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winners in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, back again to go down that 1996 timeline. And this week, we're going to be looking at the October 21st editions of Monday Night Raw and Monday Nitro. This, these two episodes, sorry, take place the night after Buried Alive and six days before Halloween Havoc. So obviously the Buried Alive episode has already dropped. You'll have heard what takes place after one of these shows and the other will be in the correct order as always. But just putting that out there that we are in that weird sort of week or two where we're either side of the pay-per-views. Up first for this week's episode is Monday Night Raw, so without any further ado, this week we're going to get straight into it and go and check out what Raw has to offer. The images of Bret Hart's departure at WrestleMania 12 are still burned in our memories. For six months, the hitman has carried the pain of leaving behind his title, his fans, and his legacy. Ever since then, rumors have persisted about his future, and tonight... We all very anxiously await what he has to say. Perfection is the goal of every superstar, but only one man has lived it. Tonight, the celebrated return of one of the most revered athletes in the history of the World Wrestling Federation, the most perfect intercontinental champion of all time, returns to teach a lesson in humility to a new generation snob. Two great champions return tonight on Monday Night Raw. As you heard there, the opening of Raw centers around Bret Hart um, deciding to come back from his absence and Mr. Perfect making a return to the ring. Commentary team, Vince McMahon and Jerry the King Lawler. We actually open up with our first contest being Sid taking on Owen Hart out with Clarence Mason. Sid is over like crazy here. You absolutely cannot believe how much the crowd loves Sid. He gets a big chant from the crowd, chanting his name to start us off. And when we do lock up, Sid powers down um, and sends Owen Hart via a... Who kips up, sorry, into a goozle, sends him over the top rope in a really great spot. Owen Hart does fight back with a face buster and a missile drop kick and clothesline Sid to the floor, which brings out the Bulldog. Um, we get a distraction from the Bulldog and Owen Hart chop blocks Sid to bring him down to size as we go out to the first commercial. When we come back, Owen works over the leg. Sid hits a slam but misses a leg, then hits a choke slam and goes for his power bomb. but the Bulldog comes in and goes into a two-on-one for the disqualification finish. Shawn Michaels comes out and they clear the heels, but they seem to disagree with one another after a handshake. Obviously, they've got their match coming up at the Survivor Series, um, and we exit this segment seeing some still shots from the Buried Alive pay-per-view and JR joining the commentary team. Overall, though, a really solid opener. Owen Hart obviously can go. Sid's a real delight in this era. So for me, that's a a great way to start Raw off and a highly enjoyable opening match. We do, however, bring the bar down just a little bit as we then go into the Smoking Guns taking on the Godwins. And this is one of those feuds that will not die from sort of 95, 96 era. Um, just shocking way to follow the amazingness of Sid. The Godwins bring pigs out with them. We start the match with a slam from Bart and go out to a commercial. We come back and Billy Gunn is um, low-bridging Phineas to go to the floor. The Guns miss their sort of poetry and motion variation. Um, we then get a lukewarm tag at best to Henry, who hits a back elbow, a power slam for a two. Bart and Billy then collide, and this uh, misunderstanding, miscue, allows the Godwins to hit the slop drop for the 1-2-3, and we end the match with the smoking guns arguing with each other. Trouble is a-brewing with the guns. 
The next segment on Raw is a video package on the Hall of Fame celebrating Pat Patterson, Jimmy Snooker, Vincent J. McMahon. Um, and I'll splice a little bit of this in here because this is obviously before sort of the early 2000s when the Hall of Fame ceremony became a big to-do, like, publicly and videoed. So it was kind of cool to see one of these older ceremonies where it was obviously a bit more private back then and they'd give you a couple of clips, but it wasn't something that, you know, you could stream and watch the full event. And, of course, we're talking about the banquet and induction ceremony on Saturday, November 16th. Patterson entered the World Wrestling Federation in 1979 and became the first ever Intercontinental Champion. In the 80s, Patterson was part of the WWF broadcast team and then later went on to work in the front office. Superfly Jimmy Snuka entered the World Wrestling Federation in 1982. The phenom from the Fiji Islands took the WWF by storm with his high-flying tactics. Superfly's signature move, the splash off the top rope or even off the top of a cage were typical of his spectacular style. Vincent J. McMahon, already in the Madison Square Garden Hall of Fame, is known as the father of the WWF and is credited for originating the World Wrestling Federation. The Hall of Fame is just part of the Survivor Series weekend. And for ticket information, call Ticketmaster at 212-307-7171. What a weekend, ladies and gentlemen. So, yeah, interesting there that the Hall of Fame was part of a Survivor Series weekend. I would say this was them really dipping the toe in making an event out of it, but it obviously didn't sort of go the way they planned or for whatever reason, they didn't come back to it for many years afterwards. So, yeah, um, would have loved to have been at some of those early Hall of Fame shows. And I think even when they finally did start to make an event of it, the first few were really good before they became overproduced and everyone had strict time limits and they were cutting off speeches you wanted to hear. So, yeah, interesting to just to hear back to how those sort of things began. Next segment is Triple H taking out the knee of Mr. Perfect with a cart backstage as we go out to a commercial and it looks like Perfect's injured from this. We then come back and we promote the Big Bang Boom tour and our new show Livewire. So that should put us into the mid-90s in most people's minds if they were watching back then. And then JR brings out Brett the Hitman Hart to a good pop. He says he's got a great offer from WCW and starts to talk about his options here. And I'll splice a little bit of bread in because I can't really do it justice. But the, the reason that I've decided to come back, and people can think all they want to and they can, they can guess that I've come back, that I've planned this out a long time ago, but the fact of the matter is, from that very day, I promised myself that I would come back and I would give wrestling fans and little kids all around the world, somebody that they can look up to, somebody that doesn't necessarily... Hey, I can't dance, and I don't pose too well for uh, girly books. But I am. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. And I'm back. Thank you very much. Yes! The Hitman is back! And Mr. Perfect will be back as well! In action! When we return with more of Monday Night Raw! There was a bit more to it with that. We did see 
Hillman and Austin watching backstage prior to where I started the splice and Brett talked about promising his young nephew on his deathbed that he would come out of retirement, but I didn't want to go too long with the with the clips in there, but it was overall a really good segment and Vince selling how happy he was that Vince was coming on, uh, coming back, sorry. It does go on a little bit long. We then go to a commercial for Karate Fighters um, and the Holiday Tournament, which always gets a laugh out of me when we see it, and it's time for Mr. Perfect versus Triple H. Gorilla Monsoon and Mark Miro both come out here at some point. Gorilla Monsoon won't let Perfect in because of the injury he's suffered, and Mark Miro has offered to take his place, but Triple H says he'll only wrestle if he puts the Intercontinental title on the line, which Mr. Perfect basically accepts on his behalf as we go out to commercial. When we come back, it's Miro defending his Intercontinental title against Triple H. We get a backdrop from Miro. Mr. Perfect joins the commentary team. An arm drag from Miro, and Gorilla Monsoon says he's suspended Ahmed Johnson for his attack on Farouk recently. Triple H uses Sable as a shield. She slaps him. He gets back in the ring, and he hits a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker and a suplex on Miro. Miro, with a roll-up, gets a near-fall as we go out to a commercial. When we come back, we see a slingshot leg drop getting a two, a Samoan drop before Triple H pushes the ref- referee sorry, into the ropes, crutching Miro, who had gone up top looking for his shooting star press. Miro regains his composure and comes back with a moonsault for a two before the referee gets bumped properly. Triple H gets a chair, Perfect takes it and nails Miro. Then Triple H locks in the pedigree for the one, two, three, a new intercontinental intercontinental champion which is not bad considering we're in the middle of that year of punishment that triple h loves to say oh i was vince told me i'd eat shit for a year and i came out of it the other end mate you were the ic champ during that time come on like you did a couple of jobs to a couple of wrestlers below you it's really not that bad anyway i digress really good show um in the absence of anything really heinous on either show, I'm going to give Mr. Perfect here a kayfabe dick move of the week for turning on Mark Miro and suckering him out of his Intercontinental Championship. Um, I think I'm going to throw some kayfabe dick moves of the week into the episodes coming up because I've just learned that there's not every show has something I can complain about. And this one was actually quite fine as far as episodes of Raw go really good. Probably would have ended on Sid and Owen, although they did get the show up to a hot opener um maybe a little bit nitpicky there but yeah overall really good show as we take our halftime break because i'm an ace when i face the base 40 side is the place that is giving me grace now wait another dose and you might be dead and i'm a nike head i wear chains that excite the feds it ain't a damn thing gonna change i'm a performer strange so the mic warmer was born the game now nice, why did you do it? You know you got the mad fat fluid when you rhyme. It's halftime. For halftime this week, after touching on it during Raw, I'm going to talk about some of my favourite Hall of Fame speeches ever since the network um, or really DVDs started showing these. I'm going to go early and say Bobby Heenan was hilarious during his Hall of Fame speech. If you've never watched Heenan's, I highly suggest you watch it. Just Heenan's got this great ability to make fun of himself and the industry he's in without mocking it or, you know, really upsetting anyone. It's just, he's one of those guys. It's just hilarious. Another one on a similar tone, I definitely recommend um, is Sensational Sherry. And this might not be one that jumps out at you. She was obviously pretty intoxicated during hers, but it was friggin' hilarious. And she absolutely stole the show during her time. Um, really nice to see someone like that um, get their time to come back in and shine the... And when I say someone like that, I mean, like, typically in the uh, early 2000s, like, as much as 
the guys could get older and become legends. The women really didn't have that opportunity. It became all about, you know, 25-year-old models. So, for someone like Sherry, who was, um, you know, of a previous era, getting to come in and have her moment in the spotlight was really nice. Another quite funny Hall of Fame speech is the Iron Sheik, particularly them trying to get him off the stage. Um, that one's probably the more famous of the three that I've said so far. So, you might have already seen that, but if not, well worth checking out. I also really enjoyed Mick Foley's speech for completely different reasons. Yeah, he's funny, but also just like a really good orator, storyteller. Bret Hart's very similar for that um, vein as well. Bret's got a really good Hall of Fame speech, great Hall of Fame career and someone. Just nice to see him come back into the WWE and get recognized. And then lastly, I really enjoyed The Undertaker's basically one-man show Hall of Fame speech last year. Just, you know, Undertaker was definitely deserving of that. And there's been talk for years about would he go into the Hall of Fame? Who would induct him? How would it work? And yeah, I think they um, spent a lot of time thinking about that. And as a result, it was a really special induction for the dead man. That'll do it. There's tons and tons of Hall of Fame speeches out there, but these were just some of my favorite. And if you've got a spare 10, 15 minutes and you want to go and listen to a speech, these are some good ones to start with if you are that way inclined. Anyway, let's head back over and see what happens on the other channel and see what's going on on Nitro. It's Nitro time again, and we are coming to you live with the best in WCW World Championship Wrestling. It's WCW Monday Nitro on TNT, where the superstars of WCW come your way from the state of Minnesota. We are in Mankato at the Civic Center downtown for two hours of wrestling's number one program, WCW Monday Nitro. Along with the living legend, Larry Zabisco, I'm Tony Giovanni. Welcome to our number one. What a tremendous two-hour program we have for you. Ladies and gentlemen, now six days away from Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. And Larry, when we left the fans last week, we saw a very disturbed macho man Randy Savage. Well, Savage has got to have a lot on his mind. I mean, look at the spiel that Miss Elizabeth gave him. We're going to take a look at it, Tony. But listen, macho man. Do not give her your checkbook. Do not give her your charge cards. She is your ex-wife. I mean, do you think she does not want to ruin your life again? Well, I tell you, if you go back and take a look at what happened last week in that very emotional statement from Miss Elizabeth, here's what happened. As always, you hear there our commentary team for hour one of Shivani and Zabisco in the booth, and they send us out to a video of Miss Elizabeth emotionally apologizing and confessing that having feelings for Macho Man, which, as you can hear, Larry Zabisco is not buying. We then start with our opening contest of Bobby Eaton taking on Chris Jericho. We see Six um, in the crowd. He's obviously wanting to take the Cruiserweight title, um, and he'll be facing Jericho at Halloween Havoc. We see the fake Sting in the crowd as well. Jericho with a drop kick and a shoulder block before a power slam from Eaton. Jericho works a hammerlock and then a springboard drop kick and they brawl on the floor for a while. Eaton with a swinging neck breaker and a top rope knee drop for a two. Jericho comes back with a spin kick and a missile drop kick picks up the one, two, three. We then go to Tony Schiavone, who gets Chris Jericho in for a babyface promo here. And I'm going to put a little bit of this in just to show how far Chris Jericho comes in the next two or three years, because this is nowhere near the Jericho we all come to know and love down the line. Despite that the NWO watching along, he had the video camera, six 
up there. There he is still there right now with the bogus sting. They always come out. They always make a show, but I think they got a good eyeful of what you're about tonight. You know what, Tony? It's a coincidence that Six is watching because it's only six days until Halloween Havoc. NWO, never beaten, never tied, never given a run for their money. Six in Las Vegas, you're coming out with a loss. I'm coming out with a victory. And NWO, first rung of the ladder is climbed. WNWO, WCW, we'll see who the better man is. Are you ready, Six? Because I am. Yeah, as you heard there, a little bit of a bland promo and not anywhere near what Jericho will become later on. We have a commercial break, and then when we come back, we get a video package on Rey Mysterio, which is quite cool, um, really highlighting his aerial offense. And he's becoming, I guess, like he's getting a little bit of a push here from WCW as being quite unique and, and really special. We then carry on down the cruiserweight theme, and Jimmy Graffiti takes on Dean Malenko. What the fuck has my gigolo here become? <laughs> this is um, this is just crazy to me. And I've put like um, a note here that says, "How is this not one of the most well-known things out there?" Or mostly, how did I not know about this for years? Like gigolo J- Jimmy Del Rey um, <laughs> has big, you know, is quite popular or you know, quite well-known, particularly, like, if you, like me, watch things like OSW Review, where he really does get the piss taken out of him, but in a in a light-hearted way. Like, how did I not know he became Jimmy Graffiti is basically what I'm asking here in way too long of a way. Anyway, into the match, Jimmy Graffiti hits a floating DDT and an elbow for a two, a sit-out powerbomb for a two, and a super kick for a two before Dean Malenko slows things down. We see fake Sting in the crowd filming this one now on a handheld camcorder. I'm not sure what the idea behind that was, but it seems to be a WCW thing for a few years yet. A back suplex for a two from Dean and then a suplex and tries for the clover leaf, but it doesn't come off. He hits sort of like a cactus cross body, so like takes them both over the top rope. It looks pretty painful. Graffiti attempts a missile drop kick, but he's caught in the clover leaf, and that's enough for the submission victory for the Iceman Dean Malenko. Coming out of the contest, we're told on Saturday night, we'll see Hall and Nash in tag team action. So that should spike some ratings for WCW Saturday night. And we go to our next match, which is DDP taking on the Pitbull with Teddy Long. DDP jumps him early with a spinning clothesline and his pancake for a two before we get um, the kick out from the move bumping Nick Patrick and he sails backwards. The two brawl on the floor, DDP and the Pitbull, that is. Pitbull gets his code red armbar, but Teddy Long was distracting Nick Patrick. DDP, in the confusion, picks up the diamond cutter for the 1-2-3, and Teddy Long argues with Nick Patrick. Tony Schiavone then goes to Nick Patrick and accuses him of being an NWO referee, and Nick Patrick denies that as we go out to a commercial break. When we come back, we recap the NWO taking out Ric Flair and Jeff Jarrett stepping up to face the Giant at Halloween Havoc. Jeff Jarrett then takes on Big Ron Studd. So this is like a warm-up for facing the Giant here, Big Ron Studd being a huge guy. Flair comes out and invites Jeff Jarrett to have a bit of a strut off between the two of them. Ric Flair's way more over than Jarrett and shakes his hand. They're trying to pass some of his credibility onto Jarrett here, but I don't think it's going to work. The match starts. We've got an eye poke and a 10 punch from Jarrett. Ron Studd comes back with a big lifting choke, but Jeff Jarrett hits a suplex, which was pretty impressive, by the way, on a man that size, and locks in the figure four for the pretty easy squash match against the seven-footer, which is just baffling to me that WCW would use someone this big in that sort of capacity. 
Tony Schiavone's then with Jarrett and Flair. Ric Flair says he's going to be in Jeff Jarrett's corner at Halloween Havoc. So, again, trying to get him, you know, sort of over by association there, I guess you'd say. We go into hour two, and it's time for Bischoff, Tanay, and Heenan to take over the commentary duties. And we go into our next match of Roadblock versus Lex Luger. Let me take a second here to say that Roadblock looks like the illegitimate love child of Hacksaw Jim Duggan and the Tugboat. What a sight to be seeing this guy is. Lex is over like Rover. Um, it's interesting here, like, I, I talked about Sid on Raw, but Lex on WCW. These two guys that, you know, historically weren't... I guess when the Monday Night Wars were coming to an end, weren't really considered in the very top echelon of the stars at the time. But going back, history has been very kind to them. Lex and Sid got themselves really over and were really solid performers that didn't get enough credit at the time. And I think looking back, these are two of those guys that I look back on and go, they were way better than they were given credit for at the time. Anyway, the pro NWO crowd here loving flair and luger really says a lot about who the genuine stars are in wcw because they got pretty substantial pops luger hits a corner clothesline and a 10 punch and then a trifecta of clotheslines the last one sending roadblock to the floor we had an inset Arn anderson promo on luger in the match luger with a big slam before roadblock hits an avalanche luger hits another slam and then attempts a rack but fails Goes for it again, struggles, and then on the third time, he gets the massive roadblock up in the torture rack for the submission victory as we go out from the ring into a commercial for the NWO t-shirt. We then get Lee Marshall on the phone talking all things Nitro parties on the road. Nothing really of note here to chat about. And we go to our next match, American Males taking on the Harlem Heat. We've got some corner strikes from Stevie Ray in a big slam, and then Bagwell comes back and knocks Booker T out of the ring. A backdrop and a drop kick as we go out to a commercial. Hall and Nash are in the crowd this time. They're watching the tag teams, obviously, as they're sort of, you know, top of the pile in the tag team division. Bischoff says that the NWO are trying to take over Nitro. I'm not sure why the NWO are always using this handy cam I talked about earlier, but that's going on here again. Bagwell with a drop kick and Riggs comes in and cleans house, nails uh, Colonel Robert Parker, and then Booker T comes back with a side kick for the one, two, three. Bit of a botched ending. It wasn't the um, the cleanest of sort of distraction and catch ups here. It also appeared to have been a two count, but we're told that it was three, and it's Nick Patrick as the referee here. So it's you know. I get they're probably going for more of like the heel corrupt referee shtick, but there's a couple of things like they don't really, when the WWF does something like this, production's all over it, commentary's all over it, you know exactly what you're getting. WCW some of the time with Nick Patrick is, and then other times like this, it's like, oh, that was a bit weird. Also, we've accused him of being pro NWO earlier in the evening, but Harlem Heat are the ones that have been facing Hall and Nash, so why would he be cheating for them and not the American males? It, it just doesn't really add up, and I'm just, I think they just started this not knowing really where they wanted it to head, to be honest, and that shows in some of the, the times when it happens with Nick Patrick. Rant over, we go into our next match, and it's the Faces of Fear taking on the Fantastics. We get some chops from Meng. Bischoff says that um, the Macho Man was meant to face Chris Benoit tonight, but he's not arrived yet. Some double teaming on Meng from the Fantastics, but he's not selling. We get a backdrop in to the Barbarian who catches him into a powerbomb, and that was just friggin' impressive. I really love Meng and the Barbarian. We get a backdrop from Barb, and then Tommy Rogers misses a drop kick. Double backdrop on Barb from the Fantastics, and then they miss a, sorry, a double missile drop kick gets him a two count. 
Barbarian catches one of them and Meng boots him in the head from a slam. And that's the one, two, three for the faces of fear. They're just vicious and hit some high impact moves and just love that kind of wrestling me. So yeah, another couple of guys that looking back on, I, I've grown. I always really liked, I, I probably preferred Barbarian and Haku in WWF to the faces of fear in WCW. But yeah, they were pretty cool everywhere they went looking back. We see a recap slash repeat of the Elizabeth video we saw at the start of the show. Bischoff's then sucking up to Macho Man earlier, um, but he hasn't sort of... Sorry, we see Bischoff sucking up to Macho Man earlier, but we haven't seen him on the show yet, so I'm not really sure what's going on there as I mix up my words and my notes all at the same time. We then go to NWO Sting taking on Mr. JL. It's been a little bit confusing because we did hear earlier Sting was going to be here, but then I, I... think the commentary team were supposed to be surprised that it was NWO Sting and not the real Sting. Not exactly sure. The NWO then walk out all bar Hogan and surround the ring for this match. Sting hits a face buster and a slam and then a Stinger splash and the Scorpion Deathlock. But then the real Sting walks down the aisle. He gets in the ring, hits a Scorpion Death Drop and the NWO just watch, which is really weird. He hits a Stinger splash and then the commentary team suggests that this is happening because he's joining the NWO. He does then lock in the... Uh, Scorpion Deathlock and the NWO come in and Ted DiBiase welcomes Sting to the NWO. Sting, be the leader, be that man last week. This is not what we had in mind. I had people telling me a little while ago that he was really here. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh Uh-oh, watch this, watch this. Hold on, no, come on. Warren, welcome. To the real no. Stinger. No. He's with him. He is with him. The no way. Sting, the NWO would like to give you a warm welcome too. We'd like to welcome no. you aboard. See, we could we could use a man like you. No. Whether you realize it or not, or whether WCW realizes it or not, the NWO is taking over. That, that is a fact. You understand? He's That's not wearing fact, NWO. Friend. He's not wearing your colors. He's not wearing an NWO. Look There's at his face. There's nothing anybody can do about it. Look at his face. You see, if you join us, it's not like going to work for any other company. No. Once thing? you join us, then you're like family. You got something to say to Sting, big man? Stinger, if I may quote my most favorite American poet, Jim Morrison. I think it's time you break on through to the other side. Don't do it. I got a couple of questions. I got a couple of questions for Sting. You've been carrying the WCW banner for nine years and doing a great job. What do you got to show for it? We bring him out, a bogus imposter, and nobody knows about that better than us. Because we knew it would get to you. WCW tells you to stick it. We want you to know we're taking over, and with you, there's no stopping us. You jump NWO, you're NWO for life. 
Stinger. Come on, Stinger. He's gone. Come on. They've brought the devil out of him. He reached down. That right there is your cheap imitation. You get what you pay for, don't you? The real sting may or may not be in your price range. But the only thing that's for sure about sting is nothing's for sure. What does that mean? He's a free agent. Doing? What does it mean? What's she doing? He didn't say. He didn't say yes. He said he may or may not be in he the price range. He did not range. say. He did not make the move. So yeah, good cliffhanger there with Sting not joining the NWO, beating up the imposter Sting, not committing either way. Um, really, really like the way they're playing out this Sting storyline and giving it some real longevity. As we know, it's one of the longest playing storylines I can think of in the history of wrestling for the payoff. But yeah, really good stuff there. We then hear on commentary as we go out to a commercial break that Macho Man will be here and Bischoff leaves the commentary booth. It's then time for our main event, Chris Benoit taking on the Macho Man who comes out in all black. Bischoff stops him on the ramp and shows him the video from Hulk Hogan on the set of Three Ninjas. We see Giant taking over the set there and making Liz do an apology on the set to Hogan. Liz begging off and Hogan just being a total dick to her. Probably could have earned him our kayfabe dick move of the week, but Mr. Perfect really let me down with the heel turn and not getting back into the ring. Um... Macho Man's silent and walks off. He comes back and says that marriage and life are fragile. The commentary team sell this, not sure um, I quite get what they're going for here, but he ends up not having the match and just walking off. And this is a bit of an interesting ending. I don't mind them trying something different as a cliffhanger to end the show. So yeah, overall, um, not quite what I expected, but pretty decent way to end the show and, and keep viewers guessing for next week. That will do it for the two shows. It's now time to have a look at who won the battle. I've decided to hold off with the ratings until the end of the show now. Just a little very, very slight change to format where we can talk about who won the ratings right before we rank it for ourselves. So without any further ado, we are still obviously in the Nitro 83-week streak here. So they do win this one, but it's a little bit closer than what it's been. I'm um, certainly a lot closer than the week prior. So this was a 3.2 versus a 2.6, and the week before had been a 3.3 versus a 1.8. So this will go up and down. Raw will go up and down a little bit, but um, they don't touch Nitro for quite a long time, not until a certain Mike Tyson gets involved with the product. Having said that, that doesn't mean they're our winner. We're going to go through and pick our own winners right about now. For storyline, I'm going to go with WCW. Although the WWF ha did a good job, I think the better storylines, particularly the Sting storyline, are on WCW, so you can't really look past that right now. For characters, I'm also going to go with WCW, just seeing in that segment with Sting and Fake Sting, Kevin Nash, Six, Ted DiBiase, Scott Hall, The Giant, all those guys, as well as you've got Flair, Luger, um... Jarrett, people like that. Um, it is a really star-packed WCW show, DDP. And the WWF did really well, having Owen Hart and Sid, and then having Brett come back, and, you know, Mr. Perfect coming back. So they weren't short of characters, but WCW certainly had the bigger roster and the bigger star power. Production value, I'll go with WWF. Like I said, talking about the Nick Patrick stuff, it's just too ambiguous, and it doesn't look all that well thought out sometimes. Um, 
I think it's a bit of a nitpick, but it does show the WWF is just such a slick machine, even in their worst period here. For crowd heat, I'm actually going to call it a tie. Um, Sid was the most over wrestler on either show. WCW probably had more over segments, but I think the both crowds did a really solid job, and Sid being as over as he was was enough to earn them a tie. Match quality, I've got to go back to WCW. As much as the matches in the WWF or on the WWF Raw were decent, WCW's got the Cruiserweights, the Faces of Fear, um, just really, really good wrestlers in their prime doing their thing. So yeah, overall, I think the the ratings win for Nitro was fair. We agree with that. We think Raw's got some really good parts and he's definitely getting better as a show, but Nitro is well into the hottest storyline in the history of wrestling at this point, And it's hard to see them being beaten anytime soon. That'll do it. We've got plenty more 96 goodness coming your way in sort of the weeks and months to come. So just trying to stick at it. And I'm going to have a look um, sometime soon. I'm going to go back and revisit the pay-per-view that I attended in person. And that would be the 2014 Survivor Series. And what prompted me to do that is the announcement that Elimination Chamber would be taking place in Perth, Australia next year. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to do my best to get tickets and go to Perth for the first time in my life. It's a million miles away. So if you think, oh, you're in Australia, have you never been to Perth? I guess think like New York to LA for my American audience. Think like, I don't know, London to Moscow or something for my listeners in the UK. I think they're probably the two biggest markets for listening to this show. I have not looked at the analytics for a long, long time, but I'd assume that's the case. Anywho, yeah, Survivor Series 2014 is going to be upcoming in the next sort of month or two in the pipeline. So I'll get another chance to go back and watch something that I thoroughly enjoyed at the time, even if it was not necessarily for the product, just being there live in person. And spoiler, it revolves around one of the main characters from the show that I've just reviewed now. So we'll watch that and and review that together soon in the near future. Anyway, enough rambling at the end of the show. I'm going to wrap up here, let you all go. Have a great day wherever you're listening. And thanks once again for tuning in. Goodbye.